because it doesn't matter how much you said if you don't want to look at why you're getting upset or angry or fearful. And there's a place to look. What am I doing? Where is this fear coming from? Why do I care about this? And unless we look at that, and, and you can actually use meditation as a way to avoid stuff, and people will. Kind of, I'm blanking my mind, I'm pushing stuff away. Just like there was a common thing in a lot of Zen in America where people were realizing they're thinking just meditating is a solution to everything. And actually, meditation is just a practice. And the real solution is how is right thought, right view. To me, almost all of practice comes down, how can we view things rightly? And you see it throughout your day is how you're viewing it. Um, if I make something important, then I'm using wrong view and I'm going to create suffering from it. Reverend Kinray Basis began his Buddhist training in an effort to relieve a sense of meaninglessness to life. He felt bound by circumstances, emotions, and desires, but was introduced to the Four Noble Truths, and he saw a way out of suffering and a path to peace and happiness. He began training with Reverend Master Jiu Kennett and ordained as a monk under her direction in 1979, training at Shasta Abbey. He received Dharma transmission in 1982 and was named Master by Reverend Master Jiu Kennett in 1987. He's been the prior of the Berkeley Buddhist Priory since 1997. You are listening to Sit, Breathe, Bow, a podcast for practitioners. Each week, leading Buddhist teachers share life experiences and insights to help guide your meditation practice, as well as your life off of the cushion. I'm your host, Ian White-Marr. This podcast is sponsored by the Quantum Online Sangha, a virtual Zen practice community of the International Quantum School of Zen. Members of the online Sangha meditate together, study with teachers, and participate in workshops and courses to develop their practice. Listeners of this podcast are invited to try a free month of training, which includes live Q&A interviews with Zen teachers, discounts on webinars and online classes, and access to a private community where students can discuss their practice and receive guidance. To receive your free month of training, simply visit quantumzenonline.org and click on the free trial membership button on the homepage. Wondering if you can take us back to your early your beginning as a when you first started working with Buddhist training you you talked about sort of the sense of meaningless to, to life and then having Buddhism appear for you and as a possible answer and you know clearly has become your life and so I'm just wondering if you can remember what was it that was so attractive and so well actually I remember just reading in my actually when I was 18 freshmen in college reading some reading some Buddhist books and thinking there's something you know that's pointing me to something and starting to read the literature and and then realizing you know like at the time you know okay where do i want to put sort of the energy in my life into and it just didn't seem that meaningful to pursue a lot of the other 
the normal paths. So after I got out of college, not long after, I ended up doing what I'm doing. And I could see it in the practice of the people who were doing it, that something worked and that people, you know, were clearly doing much better. And you could see it, particularly when problems come up. That's one of the real tricks in training is you can really see somebody's practice, not when everything's going well, but how do they deal when things aren't going well? So somebody has a serious health problem, somebody has something go wrong, you know, how do they deal with it? Um, I can even remember somebody telling me, you know, just kind of coming when I was at the monastery, you know, for a while and somebody had left and he came back and we had a sort of a disaster in one of the buildings. It was winter time. The place was flooded and a whole good chunk of us had to go down and deal with it. And he just looked around and said, it's amazing to see people's practice. Everyone's just doing their job and nobody's complaining or making or groaning. They're just, this is what you need to do. And this is what we're doing. And in a way, you know, that's a way of non-clinging, you know, the fact our suffering comes from, we want this and not that. And just to realize you just do what's good to do and just trust and let go of things. So you met G.U. Kennett, um, and what was it that spoke to you about her teaching style or, or the vision that she sort of shared with you? She had a great line that um, I remember. Um, first of all, she had really deep faith and deep spiritual certainty that was very clear. Um, and also what she once said, and it's quite true, she said, if you follow a, a master, What's important is if you look at the disciples, that's who you're going to be. <laughs> if you don't like the disciples, the odds are you're not, it's a sign. Maybe you shouldn't be following that teacher. And I could see from the people practicing with her something very positive. Not, not universally, obviously, there are all sorts of people. You know, it's not like she chose who followed her, but you could see from the people who've been practicing that something real and solid was going on. And the practice worked. I could see it. You know, that is a, I actually really would love to follow up on that line. Cause I think that's really, of course she doesn't get to choose who comes to study with her, but I think it also is true that, you know, there's, I love this line is sort of in the hip hop world, right? That real recognize real. <laughs> and I think there really is something to be said about looking at the students who are at, are studying with the teacher. Oh yeah, I mean I think that's um you know, it's um you know to me that's you know where the practice, you know, that is the sign, you know, if people, you know, I can look at it in my own temple, you know, if people aren't be, you know, treating each other well, I'm looking like, okay, what's going? <laughs> you know, I assume people are going to be really, you know, treat each other well and do all the rest because that's a central part of the practice. You know, people often, one of the things people often emphasize too much, particularly in Zen, is wisdom and don't emphasize enough just how you behave and compassion. Because if you're not showing compassion and kindness, you're an idiot. <laughs> you're not wise. Right. The wisdom's going to be expressed in your behavior, not not on how much you understand the Dharma, and actually not by your spiritual experience. It'll be expressed strictly by how you behave. 
that's the real test of how you're doing. Nothing else really. When I look at somebody else, nothing else really matters. I don't really care what their spiritual experience is. How they're doing is how they behave. Well, and it's interesting for you now as a teacher, because you have these people who, you know, you're the prior of this, of this uh, a priory, and you have these students who are coming to you, and how, how do you guide them in that, that relationship? Like, how do you share that, that story with them? Because I'm sure they're, you know, we all want something, right? We come and we want something, and... Well, naturally, it's natural that you want something, but a lot of training is, first of all, the teaching has to, you know, resonate with them. And I don't know, it's just whatever that means, you know, that, you know, I can even tell sometimes, you know, I talk to somebody and when they, I first talk to them, all they're talking about is like, you know, technical questions about Buddhism and what is this and what is that. And unless they're talking about what's going on in their own life and how they can change it, I realize they're not going to probably stick around because that's the only thing that matters is just what they're doing with their, you know, how the practice is impacting their life. And you have to go through the rest, but that's the important thing. And, um, you know, and it's just, I don't know, giving tea, you know, that's what, you know, you try to teach. So, um, you know, how to basically live, um, a Buddhist life and how to show kindness and compassion and willingness and let go of things and and not obsess like a good point I like making is instead of thinking, spending a lot of time thinking how you are doing in your practice, concentrate on what you're doing. You know, try to do good wherever you are and that'll take care of everything instead of trying to measure yourself, like, how do I compare, like, you know, how am I doing? Um, much more useful to concentrate on mm. what you're doing. Now, I, I was really drawn to a line, this sort of moving in a different direction, but I, I was really drawn to a line in one of your essays where somebody had mentioned uh, to you, um, they, they were saying, it was good that you're a seeker. And your response was, I thought to myself, I am not seeking. I am trying to trust that I already have what I would be seeking. And my eye landed on that word trust, like trying to trust. And I, I feel like in the spiritual, you know, the spiritual arts, whether you're in, you know, whatever tradition you're in, this trust, this um, faith, this sort of willingness. Um, how do you? How does that express itself for you? Like, how do you? How how do you find that? How do you experience that? Well, you can't. You. It's in a way what you're cultivating, and it's really what allows us to let go, sit still, and really meditate on a deep level. Is we have to trust that. First of all, that's what why we can't let things go. We have trouble trusting that somehow, mm -hmm. if I'm not, I need this, I want this, I fear this. And all you have to do is look at your mind in meditation and you realize there's a lot of stuff you're having trouble letting go of or look at your life. So it's, it's th that's a teaching that's there all the time for all of us. And to keep, in a way, giving yourself the Dharma that there's 
that in the end, there's nothing that I need. And a line I like using is it's, it's good to be here. No matter what the karmic conditions are, I really have everything I need. You know, and that's what the Dharma is telling me. That's what Buddhism is telling me. There's nothing from the first. So where, what am I saying I need? And if I think I need something, then I'm being deluded. And if I let go, and I always like a story. um, I remember reading it. It was someone in a concentration camp. And one person, there was one person in the camp who seemed completely at peace and at ease. And the fellow kind of thought, what's going on here? Maybe he's just spaced out, not recognizing what's going on. And so he realized the guy's seeing everything, absorbing everything. And he, and he goes to the fellow and he says, what's going on? He says, there's nothing special going on here. There's always suffering. There's always things going on. And if you let go, joy fills everything. And that's a spiritual truth. And there's, no, you know, kind of, there's never anything you know, special going on even in the concentration camp. And I've met people who are, you know, on, you know, on the edge of dying and they'll say this is the best I've ever been in their life and they just wish they didn't need, wait till now to let things go. So, um, you know, and they're even in a lot of pain. I remember somebody who was in severe pain anymore, pain medication would kill her, and she just gl- looked at me glowing and she just said, this is the best I've ever been. So the main thing is we have to trust that really the Dharma is true, that yes, it's normal. That's what Buddhist training is. How do we let go of things? And it's like a line I always like of Ajahn Chah, let go a little, have a little peace. Let go a lot, have a lot of peace. Let go completely, have complete peace. So, you know, it's how do we let go? And that's hard. You know, that's, you know, but to give yourself the Dharma when things come up and to tell yourself, you know, there's not, you know, there's really nothing going on here. You know, it's, um, cause in a way we make the world, our desires and fears make the world. It's not out there. It's in our heads. We give everything meaning. And then we, that's why in a way the famous Zen line is, you know, six patriarch, there's nothing from the first. So where can the dust, the light, because, the whole world's in our heads. You know, it's the meaning of everything is our meaning. It's not like it's out there. Just like, you know, there's no U.S. in reality. It's just we decided (laughs) that there's this thing called borders and everything else, and this is what this means, and money means this, and what people think of me means that. And once you let go, there's really nothing there, but, you know, we have, and training is just dealing with it, and you know, and kind of applying the teaching and just trying to do good so we're not making more difficulty. You know, there's this other line that's sort of in that same essay, and this sort of will lead to my next point, but it's, you wrote, you know, true wisdom is found in trusting and then experiencing that we we really do not need anything, that we already possess the limitless water that satisfies all our thirst. and. I think, you know, practitioners are drawn to lines like that. Like we already possess the limitless water that satisfies all our thirst. Like we like to read lines like that. And it's like, oh my gosh, some you know, that teacher is. Oh, yeah. 
so profound. But then actually making that live. How, how do you work with students that, in such a way that helps them make that come alive for them? Well, it, it's all of Buddhist practice. You know, it's not, there's no easy way to make it live. And, we, you know, it's not always alive for me. It's like there's a line, oh, a famous story <laughs> yeah. where they ask a master about his practice. He says, sometimes I raise the eyebrows of old Shakyamuni Buddha and sometimes I and, you know, and I don't, you know, sometimes I look at things and, you know, with enlightened eyes and sometimes I don't. And, you know, something comes up just like I have to, every time I look at the news, I have to remind myself, okay, relax again, right? You know, it's, you know, don't get, you know, don't allow myself to start spiraling with like, this shouldn't be happening. That shouldn't be happening, even though it's wrong. You know, I can view it as wrong behavior. There's always right and wrong behavior going on. Um, so it's, you know, to kind of get upset about it is not going to help anything. Um, but, and to help them, it's all a Buddhist practice. I mean, cultivating the letting things go and trusting is hard and there's no easy way. And um, it's really the whole path in a way. So there's no simple way to do it because then everyone has trouble doing it, you know, and it's hard, you know, it's those lines, you know, lines that give us faith help. But I can even remember I was in, when I was in college, my room, one of my roommates, again, I was liking to read books on Buddhism at the time. And she said, Oh, I love reading Zen books. And I go, well, yeah, do you do anything or say anything? Oh, I could never do anything, but I really like reading those books. And so, you know, that's, and that's normal. I mean, in a way, that's what I was doing at the time. So I wasn't really practicing. I was just reading stuff and finding it helpful and inspirational. But it, it took a while to, for the inspiration to actually make me do something. And was there a, a moment that you can remember where the trust became real, that the limitless water was there? There's moments that things opened up, but... Most of it hasn't happened in a dramatic way. It's just a slowly growing of something. And, um, you know, most of my things haven't been too dramatic. You know, I'm not somebody who has, like, you know, I know people who have very dramatic things happen to them spiritually. Well, I'd, I seem not to have that type of stuff. But, you know, that's just we're all different. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't thinking of some sort of dramatic sort of Ken show something, yeah. but just a moment where you were like, Oh, right. Well, there's been really yeah. positive things that helped me. You know, I can even remember just um, hearing my master give the teaching, you know, a ceremony in which she would stand on the altar and all the monks in the monastery come up and ask her a question. And she's on the altar as the Buddha giving the answers. It's a traditional Zen ceremony mm -hmm. to a, you traditionally do a few times a year and um, just listening to her faith and confidence and just thinking, you know, just knowing in a very deep way, that's all true. There was this line in one of your essays that says, uh, we live our lives desperately clinging to our successes, but then we are ashamed of our weaknesses and often wishing to hide our failures. We can never find real peace as long as we live our lives clinging to how we're doing in relation to others. 
and I really liked that last line because it, for me, it highlighted so much of what's there in that first sentence, which is, you know, our successes or our weaknesses are only sort of moments of pride or failure because somehow we're measuring against someone else. Just curious how how that's appeared for you or how that's appeared for you and your students? Well, it, there's a teacher, one of my favorite teachings to use is a very common Buddhist teaching, which is the eight worldly conditions, praise and blame, mm-hmm. success and failure, gain and loss, comfort and discomfort. And usually, and most of the day when I break it down, I'm trying for the positive side of all those eight worldly conditions. You know, I'm trying to be more comfortable, more successful, you know. You know, I'm on the internet trying to save money, um, you know, doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's normal daily life. But in a way, training is to remind yourself. It's like I was, you know, that these are just the eight worldly conditions I remember. Um a Chinese master telling the current abbot of Shasta Abbey, Master Mayon, um, he said, remember, don't get blown around by the eight worldly conditions. And, and when something happens, I frequently just remind myself, just praise, just blame, you know, don't get caught up. It's just like an empty dream. People like me, people dislike me, people think this is wonderful. And then what happens when somebody, you know, criticizes me. It's like somebody I remember in a Dharma talk here, you know, was talking about this issue and he says how much he hates unjustified criticism. And I said, I even hate justified criticism. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's like, I mean, I can know it's it's appropriate, but I still don't like it. Um, So it, um, you know, to just accept... (laughs) You know, but just to realize it's just somebody's opinion. It just it doesn't mean anything, you know, fundamentally. I've done things where I got all this praise and I realize short time none of the people care. They don't really care. You know, they'll go back and you know, it'll be like a dream, like all the meals we ate last year. It's all a dream and mm-hmm. um the fact that we were uncomfortable or even really sick, now we look back, you know, I got I remember just a little while back, got really ill with something just briefly, and I was just thinking how miserable this is and how intolerable it is, and now it's just like a dream, you know. Yes, I was uncomfortable. Um, So to kind of just bring that teaching into mind and just remind yourself when something comes up, it's, you know, this is just me comparing myself to others, and in the end, it doesn't really matter, and everybody has things that they're doing well and things that they're doing poorly. To be honest, nobody, in fact, if somebody's really good at something, it often means they're, it makes them bad at something else. They work quickly, but they don't work carefully. <laughs> you know, the person who's, you know, has one ability often lacks something else. Um, so we're all, you know, just like a good point in Buddhist practice with a comparison mind is realizing nothing will ever be perfect. You know, we'll never get everything all right. As long as we live, they'll always be getting things right and wrong, always. You know, we'll be compassionate and not compassionate, kind and not kind, generous and selfish, and the opposites will always be there. 
you know, we're trying to minimize it through practice, but they never completely go away. You know, it's not like in any, even when people say I'm really good at something, I see lots of ways I'm not good at it. Yeah, and I think it's so funny because so many, so many of us as, as students, um, and I don't experience this as a Buddhist teacher, but as a yeah. minister, you know, where people come and they project, they project this fantasy on you that they want for themselves, and then oh yeah, you're like, oh my god, please don't put that fantasy on me because that's just not. I can, there's no way to live up to it, but there's no way for them to live up to it either. And it, it becomes this source of suffering. Oh no, it took me, it actually took me a number of years to realize I'm trying to be something I've never experienced. (laughs) You know, I'm trying to be a better person than anyone I've ever, I wouldn't even be that hard on anyone else, but I was thinking I shouldn't have this problem. I shouldn't be like this. And, um, and it's very unrealistic. Or, and people will cling to this idea. I had somebody not long ago who was, had been a Buddhist monk for a long, for quite a number of years, and they're still upset at some behavior of some of their teachers. And I kind of go, this is just, people blow, you know, people are insensitive, say dumb things, make mistakes, and everybody does. Think of all the things I got right, and you probably can make a long list and say you're just clinging to the fact that they did this wrong or that wrong. And, um, and that's just the nature of, nature of things, that nothing is ever perfect. You know, perfection is a spiritual aspect, that there's something perfect that isn't caught up in the conditions. Conditions are always going to be a mixed bag. Yeah, it's like we come to the practice with this huge weight of something being wrong, and we are aspiring to something perfect where there's no wrong, but that that aspiration actually just gets added onto the weight in a way. Well, a common thing I get frequently, somebody will be upset at their behavior, like I got angry or I did this or I did that, and it's awful after all these years of practice, let's say, I'm doing this mistake and that mistake. And I think everybody, no, I've never met the person who's still not making that mistake. You know, it's like they asked the Dalai Lama, do you ever get angry? And the Dalai Lama said, oh, yes, I get angry. I just try to let go of it as quickly as possible. You know, and that's training, you know, that, but to say you never get angry almost means you never have desire because anger is just frustrated desire. And if something's important enough, just like if I was watching a, a child being abused, I'd probably get angry still. <laughs> you know, of course, maybe it's appropriate. You know, it's appropriate to get angry. Well, it's the well, the emotion isn't necessarily the always the best thing, but isn't. But it is appropriate mm-hmm. at least to want to act strong, be you know, to act upon. To act you know, to, to try yeah. to deal with it. The anger actually isn't isn't going to help anything because often people think they need anger to motivate themselves to, to behave while the trouble that doesn't really work very well because the anger is not always going to be there to do the right thing while just seeing what's good to do is much a better motivation to do it just to see, okay, this is what's needed. You know, I should really intervene the same way as if somebody falls down, I should help them get up. Somebody's being mistreated. If there's a way to stop it, you should just stop it. You know, and this is a theme that has just come up throughout the interview, right? It is this 
action piece that you keep referring to the behavior piece they keep and um and i'm not entirely sure where where the question is as much as i just keep hearing this pattern in what you're saying over and over again i was actually kind of yeah i was really there was something you said earlier where you're like i don't even care about that person's spiritual attainment or whatever it's like how are they behaving like uh but i was just struck by it well that's the well if you take the principle of karma, the only thing that's generating karma is thoughts, words, and actions. And the actions come out of your thoughts and speech. And that's what's generating karma. In a relationship, it's not what you, it's how you behave, you know, what, how you treat the person. You know, a lot of, you can make a lot of training real on, what you'd, on what's good and bad by just thinking of what you need to do to make a relationship work. You know, and it's, and seeing what karma, how karma works on that. It's not how you think about it. It's not, it's really how you behave that'll make it work. Um, and most things are a relationship. So how we relate to our work, our things, everything else. And that's what makes the teaching real. It's not real in the sense, you know, it's not how I think about emptiness, but can I see the emptiness when I confront something? Just like I've had people who, you know, are upset when, you know, with, you know, talk about things being empty and, you know, all this Buddhist teaching and something happens and they just get upset. And it's like, okay, you're, that's not a, you know, all that stuff doesn't mean anything if you don't see it in your life. You know, that's what makes it real. It's like saying, it's like wanting to love everybody without noticing how you treat the people around you. <laughs> and it's hard to, yeah. you know, it's hard to do that. You know, it's like, it's why it's easy to say words like how we should be and all these things, but how do you actually do it? Well, that's what's going to generate your life. And, um, you know, and you can just ground it on how you do that. And it's... um and I guess that's one of the things I noticed when I went to Shasta Abbey is you could see how people treated each other, you know, and it's, you know, just people treated each other reasonably well. And, um, you know, and there wasn't like very emotional or anything else. They just were kind and considerate. Mm -hmm. Well, and I guess sort of some of where that my question was coming from is, you know, most people, if you ask them what Zen training was, they would have some image of somebody sitting on a cushion, which is not really that relational. I mean, it's you, I guess, in relationship with the ineffable, the don't know of the world, you know, of it all. But every time I kept hearing you speak, it was kind of like, that isn't, <laughs> it's not that, it's this, Everything else that you're doing. Well, I, there's a line I like from Ajahn Chah, who obviously, since I'm quoting, I do like Ajahn Chah a lot as a teacher, but yeah. Ajahn Chah <laughs> had a line saying, sitting on your cushion is preparation. The real practice is when you get up and confront your passions. Mm. You know, and I'd hold to that. You know, it's, pre it's very good preparation, but the real practice is how you deal with your passions, your defilements. Because it doesn't matter how much you sit if you, don't, if you don't want to look at why you're getting upset or angry or fearful. And there's a place to look. What am I doing? 
Where's this fear coming from? Why do I care about this? And unless we look at that, um, and, and you can actually use meditation as a way to avoid stuff, and people will, you know, kind of, I'm blanking my mind, I'm pushing stuff away, just like there was a common thing in a lot of Zen in America, where people were realizing they're thinking just meditating is a solution to everything, and actually, meditation just a practice, and the real solution is how is right thought, right view. Um, to me, almost all of practice comes down, how can we view things rightly? And you see it throughout your day is how you're viewing it. Um, if I make something important, um, then I'm using wrong view and I'm going to create suffering from it. You know, so that's what matters. And the meditation is, you know, it's a very helpful way because in a way we're trying to let things go in meditation. So it's a very useful practice. But when you get up, you, you know, when you go back to your life, you know, you know, you, it's, it, it takes a long, you know, people can practice for, you know, there's a huge gap, which people usually experience. You do a retreat and then you get up and suddenly you're back into the same old mind you were in and go back to work and suddenly your, it's, your mind's no different than it was before the retreat because it takes a lot to change, you know, how we relate to everything. That's not a little thing. That's a huge thing. Yeah, it is a huge thing. Because it's changing how we relate to everything in our life. And that's, you know, doesn't happen in a retreat. It doesn't, it takes years. And I don't know anyone who's, you know, I talk to people who've been practicing longer than I have. And, you know, and nobody I know is still finding their practice that easy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't talk to anyone who's saying, wow, I'm finding things really easy now. I got it, you know. Or a famous Zen master, I remember Banke, they asked him, you know, was one of the great Zen masters, and and his writings are often very popular these days. And Banke, they said, what have you attained after a lifetime of practice? And he said, I haven't even begun to plummet the depths of the sea of Buddhism. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's hard to change. You know, these things are hard to do. That's why people don't find it easy. So I I guess I'm left with what keeps you what keeps you going through the hard times it's kind of straightforward when you really see what things do it's almost like saying why do i take care of a difficult health problem or do you know the alternatives are going to just create more suffering all it takes is is when a problem comes up and i realize how I'm not dealing with it well. And I just realize, God, I do need to practice much deeper because I'm still having difficulty with this. And face it, I'm, we're facing the, those teachings of old age, disease, and death. And I'm not going to deal with it well if, you know, you know, unless I make an effort um, and I'm not going to avoid it. And to, you know, so it's really just seeing clear, seeing, you know, what the alternatives, you know, what you're generating and why would I want to generate things that are going to just make me suffer? You know, that would be dumb. It would be like driving down the street and not caring if I hit anything. You know, why would you do that? You know, and that's a clear thing. Just like if you can clearly see that your anger's hurting somebody and you really see it, it really stops you from wanting to be angry. 
um, when you can see the damage the anger can do. And when you see the damage greed or desire does, you just, why do I want to follow it? So although it's hard, it's, it's almost like, you know, physical therapy. The alternative is worse. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sit, Breathe, Bow. I hope you found the conversation with Reverend Kinray Basis encouraging and helpful for your practice. You can find out more by visiting the website for the Berkeley Buddhist Priory at berkeleybuddhistpriory.org, where you'll find an extensive list of his writings and talks. I'll also include a link to the Priory in the show notes. A special thanks to our sponsor, the Quantum Online Sangha. Listeners of Sit, Breathe, Bow are invited to try a free month of training with the Online Sangha. To access your free month, simply visit quantumzenonline.org and click on the free trial membership button on the homepage. And please consider subscribing and leaving a review of this podcast. It helps introduce us to new listeners. I'm your host, Ian Whitemar, and I hope you'll join me again next week. Thank you.